Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everybody, welcome to the Long Box of Doom, episode 251. That's a lot of Long Boxes of Doom. And uh, joining <laughs> me tonight, uh, for our, we're going to start with a recap of what's been going on with the Infinity event in Marvel. Uh, then we're going to have some general comics talk, but joining me on this uh, geeky quest tonight are uh, the inimitable Dr. Esquire. <laughs> and the indubitable Russell Latham. Hey. So, like I said, we're going to start out with a kind of a recap, kind of a, t- a discussion about Infinity, uh, the Infinity event at Marvel so far. Uh, just reading some of the core books, and I think tonight we're going over Infinity number four, uh, Avengers twenty one, Infinity number five, and then New Avengers eleven. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, except it's New Avengers, and then uh, the last issue of Infinity. Oh. But otherwise, it's all the right issues. Right. Uh, yeah, when we last left Infinity. Uh, Adelan, the, the floating in human city, had exploded over Manhattan, killing millions, presumably. And uh, Cap decided that uh, our best course of action against the Builders was to surrender. Oh, and don't forget that Black Bolt shouted no. At <laughs> and exploded and expo- Adelan. Not only exploded Adelan, but the Terrigen Bomb, which is even a bigger deal. Yes, and that's uh, that's one of the places we'll be picking up with today. So uh, we we ended uh, Infinity and Avengers New Avengers last time when we were exactly at the halfway point. Today we will be going from the halfway point to the three-quarter point, and there will be exactly four issues left of the main titles left to go. Uh, one of those issues has already been published, uh, Avengers 22, but we're just not going to talk about it tonight because we don't want to overload you with Infinity. Infinity goes for a while, and it can get overwhelming. So, Infinity, number four, starts off with Cap uh, reiterating that they're going to surrender. They contact the builders on Hala, and they start setting everything up so that they can have their meeting, their parlay to surrender to the invasion of the builders. Of which the builders are quite thrilled about. Meanwhile, on Earth, uh, we go to Greenland, where we had previously met Thane, and we get a little bit more of an introduction to him here. He's a healer. He is one of the Inhumans. Um, his group of Inhumans in Greenland only have a very small shard of the Terrigen Mist, which means only one person per generation actually undergoes Terrigenesis in their community. And it's a it's an honor to undergo that. But the rest of them, they just live pretty much as normal-looking uh, humans. More or less. And at this point, Thane does not look anything like his father. He just looks like a normal dude. And by normal dude, you mean supermodel, because the dude's right. got the squarest jaw I've ever seen. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> normal for a comic book. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I always find it interesting that they have these hidden cities. You know, the Marvel Universe is full of hidden cities everywhere. 
As you do. And not just in South America, like we have them in the real world, but everywhere. <laughs> yes. So we then cut over to New York City, where Adelon has exploded and the wreckage has crashed all over Manhattan. Although it seems from this issue that most of it ended up in the various rivers and the ocean instead of actually into the city, which is probably helpful for the people there. Uh, Thanos is uh, unfazed by being shouted at directly by Black Bolt last issue. Uh, he seems just fine. Black Bolt is a little bit worse for wear, and the two of them have a uh, protracted knockout drag knockout drag down. That doesn't make any sense. Knockdown drag out fight uh, on the shores of New York City as they just tear into each other. But by the end of the fight, Thanos reigns victorious, and Black Bolt appears dead. Whether he is or not, we will find out later. But he is beaten and bloodied and in a heap at Thanos' feet. I love this fight, and I love the way the art is put together in this fight. Especially the close-up right before Thanos uh, deals the killing stroke, uh, or so it seems, onto Black Bolt. And we see... Right. I mean, we never see Black Bolt unleash his, his um, sonic scream to this extent, point-blank in someone's face. Ever. You know, yeah. Usually, if he has to open his mouth once, that's the climax of the battle, and it's all over from there. And it like literally blows the armor off Thanos's body and bloodies him. I mean, that's something we don't really see with Thanos. You know, it's just I don't know. I just thought this was really, really cool. Really enjoyed this uh, sequence. Yeah, and not only just blowing the armor off and bloodying him, but if you look kind of close at some of these panels, you could see where pieces of skin have been ripped off, and you could see like the muscle and soft tissue underneath it. So it's, I mean, we've we've kind of praised and praised and praised all of these books, but this one in particular in that the switching, I mean, this is the Dustin Weaver art here, but just the Jerome Pena, Dustin Weaver, um, Justin Ponsor, Leno Yu, Diodato, I mean, all of them. But, but in, in this book in particular, the Dustin Weaver and Jerome Pena art is just, it just really is blowing me away. I mean, in, Contrasting this with what I've been reading uh, on Battle of the Atom, which we'll we'll get to later, it's just to me it's night and day. I mean, the overall quality of of this book and the and the the corresponding books is just amazing. That 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 you know that they're doing such high quality work with this you know with this event, and I think a lot of it goes to to Jonathan Hickman and just how specific he is about graphic design and look and feel and just all of that stuff that he puts a heavy hand in in his books. What I think is really cool, too, is, I mean, the entire universe is at war against its own builders, okay? I mean, everybody is fighting everybody right now. Yeah, he takes the time to, like, get this whole, like, six or seven-page sequence of these two guys fighting each other. I mean, it just puts so much gravitas on the battle, you know, and especially the way it ends where he just holds his head, smashes into the ground, and, and, you know, leaves him there bloodied and dead, you know? I mean, standing over him like that just... I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool character beat, like a you know one-on-one fight like this in the middle of a giant intergalactic war. Kind of personalized it, you know. Oh, definitely. And and while we're having this this fight, it's cross-cutting between that and Thane and and the rest of the world actually, because like we've mentioned already, when Adelon exploded, it took out the Terrigen bomb with it, which means the Terrigen mists have been released throughout the world simultaneously, or more or less simultaneously. It's going to ride the wind currents and such. But that means that Terragenesis is happening all over the world. We see various people um, become uh, kind of enshrouded in, in kind of a cocoon type thing. And then they emerge from the cocoon as, an, as a full-blown inhuman with powers and everything. 
Um, one of those people is Thane in Greenland, who goes from a supermodel-looking guy to a uh, skinny Thanos, I guess you could call him, mm-hmm. with a lava arm and, and a black arm on the other side, and he is... Uh, he is overcome with power in Terragenesis as his power seems to be that he kills everyone around him. Um, Every other person in his hometown, in his home city, in the hidden city in Greenland, um, is just instantly killed by his power. He is instant death. It's like the opposite of what he, I mean, he was a healer before the Terragenesis and then after, you know, it's like this, you know, null zone of death or whatever. And in fact, later, even, uh, you know, um, Thanos' minions have to put him in a containment field uh, to keep from dying right. themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is kind of leading up into that Inhumanity um, series, I guess, that we're going to be seeing soon from the next wave of Marvel now. Which is shaping up to be pretty cool. Meanwhile, on the other side of the galaxy, we catch back up with uh, Captain America and the Avengers and everybody back on Hala as they prepare to... Um, essentially surrender to the builders. So they have to pick one person to send down to Hala to represent them, and they pick Thor, which at first seems like a very strange choice, because when I think of someone who's a really good negotiator, Thor is not the first person I would put on my list. Um, Carpenter? Sure. Drinker? Sure. Uh, Wingman? Eh, maybe. But uh, negotiator? No. But they send him down. Uh, He's got Mjolnir there. They tell him he's got to come down unarmed. They they can't allow any weapons in the uh, in the parlay. So he uh, he says a short prayer and he throws Mjolnir into space. Raises his hand and uh, cracks a couple jokes about ah, you said unarmed, so now I am. Um, and the builder who's there on Hala, who's uh, kind of running the show and who's going to be accepting this uh, the. Uh, surrender is a, a massive jerk. I guess would be a good way to put it. He paraphrases some of the lines Loki said in the Avengers movie, actually, uh, in the the Stuttgart scenes where he talks about, you know, he, he has Thor kneel in front of him to surrender, and he says, isn't this your natural state? Doesn't this feel right? I think you're glossing and, over something very important, though, Jordan. He pimp slaps Thor. Ah, uh, yes, builder, I thought that happened after, but yes. The builder slaps the God of Thunder. You don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You just don't do that. I'm sorry. And and Thor's biding his time. You know, he kind of wipes away the blood from his from the corner of his mouth, and he stares. But he he's not saying anything. And uh, the rest of the galaxy is looking on. Uh, there had been a complete blackout of telecommunications throughout the galaxy while the builders were attacking. Um, the builders had basically just turned everything off. Um, but because this is a massive surrender on the part of their enemies, the builders have turned back on all the telecommunications to broadcast the surrender throughout the entire 616 universe. So everybody's watching. We get some uh, some different widescreen shots of a bunch of different planets and people looking on as uh, the builder continues to pontificate about uh, how awesome the builders are and how uh, this is their na- this is humans' natural state and the rest of the galaxy's natural state to kneel in front of them. And we we get a few uh, cuts away to Mjolnir as it flies through space towards the sun, around the sun. It whips back through, and, uh, and eventually Thor is not going to take any more of the builders' nonsense. And uh, he reaches out, and the hammer comes flying right through the sternum of the Builder, leaving a giant gaping hole with green blood everywhere, as Thor has just killed a Builder and proved to the galaxy on national, for or global, even more than global, galaxy-wide national television, that the Builders are in fact mortal and can be defeated. And one of my favorite Marvel uh, sound effects, Krakathoom. 
<laughs> I love the crack of thoom as well. I, I'm very, a big fan uh, of the crack of thoom. You know, I, very I saw that happening. I knew something really cool was going to happen there. <laughs> and it did. So they're on Hala, uh, the Kree homeworld, of course. And who else is going to be there but Ronan the Accuser? Ronan is kind of acting um, against his own will. He would rather be fighting the Builders, but he he's acting as a, kind of just an onlooker and uh, to, to facilitate events. And Thor basically says, so, uh, Ronan, are you going to stand with me? Are you a free man? And are there other free men and women here as well? Hell yeah. And uh, he says, yes, there are. And he, uh, Thor says to call them out because there's a battle coming. And Ronan raises up his hammer and he says, accusers, are you with me? And uh, we get a nice uh, splash page as all the uh, all the accusers raise their hammers as they stand in front of Thor and Ronan, and uh, it looks like we're going to be bringing a bunch of hammers down. Gladiator, Gladiator talks to Cap and says, what follows after this? And we end the issue with Cap saying, with a smug look on his face, now we win. We are canceling the apocalypse. It was such an awesome setup. The, you know, the bit with sending Thor and throwing the hammer, and then we get the, the inner cuts. Uh, with it flipping around the sun. I mean, very, very cinematic. I mean, if if they could work this somehow into, like, the next Avengers movie or, like, a Thor 3 or something like that, to see that play out on the screen would be pretty ama- amazing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would work quite well. So that ends uh, Infinity number 4. We're going to pop now over to Avengers number 21, uh, the green cover with uh, Captain Universe on it. Uh, we catch back up with the ex Neili as they have uh, surrounded Captain Universe, who is uh, still in a coma, and uh, they're talking to the Avengers there, basically saying, we've got a problem. Um, Captain Universe could solve this war. She could end it all for us in an instant, because she's Captain Universe, but she's broken, and uh, for lack of a better term, ex Nihilo says, we need a miracle. Uh, we catch back up with Thor and the aftermath of uh, him bringing the hammer through the Builder, and it's told in a really cool way. I love the framing uh, sequence, the framing structure for this section of the book, which is it's a flashback. And it's uh, the Kree Supreme Intelligence, Supreme War, explaining to some people who are working on him what happened. And, and we see, we don't know why at first, but he's got a giant crack in his containment tank. And they're working to repair the damage before he dies. And he's explaining, yeah, Thor thought he was a big guy. They all, you know, the accusers and Ronan, they thought they were doing the right thing. But they're just playing for honor. And they're going to doom us all by trying to fight the builders. This is a huge mistake. And, and in the flashback, we see him telling this to Ronan. And eventually Ronan takes no more of it. And he takes his hammer and, and slams a giant crack into the side of Supreme War's containment tank, which I thought was an awesome moment. You never see Ronan go up against uh, Supreme War, at least not in the time I've been reading Marvel comics. No, man, yeah. of course not. That'd be like that's like a traitorous act. I mean, he, the Supreme Intelligence is the, the sum total of all the Kree civilization. You know, for him to do that was huge. Right. So we then get a bunch of panels from all across the galaxy as uh, the various races rise up with the help of the Accuser Corps to uh to fight the builders um there's there's wins there's losses but things eventually turn south to the point where uh the the allies uh for for lack of a better term realize that they have to pull out their 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 final solution their their final call the uh, the atom bomb if you will 
and they open a portal to the negative zone, and they unleash the Annihilation Wave on the Builders. There were a lot of cool, before we get to the Annihilation Wave part, there were a lot of cool shout-outs to the different races here in the galaxy. The Chameleons, which we saw in the FF run that Hickman did, the kind of horse-faced people that are, are you know, Beta Ray Bills, you know, um, species. Not actually Beta Ray Bills. I looked it up, and there is a slight difference. It's it's like the Chimarians and the Chimelians. Oh. And uh, so I thought they were the same. They are not. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> They're just two very similarly named horse-faced races. Of course. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then we also see Yondu's race from Centauri Four teaming up with the Space Knights of Galador, which I thought was right. pretty sweet. And, you know, the Skrulls, who's, like, been through so many wars recently, you know, ever since Secret Invasion. Uh, I just thought it was cool that, you know, we saw, like, different different pockets of uh, of resistance all over the galaxy, all these different shout-outs to different Marvel cosmic continuity parts. It was like the Independence Day moment. You know, they they beat one of the builders, and that was like the rally cry for all the other worlds to, to rise up and, and have hope. More or less, yeah. So the Annihilation Wave comes out of the Negative Zone, and they attempt to unleash Hell on the Builders, but the Builders, being who they are, quickly realize this is a species with a hive mind, and uh, that's something they know how to deal with quite well, and they turn the hive mind against itself, and while there are heavy losses on the Builder's side, uh, the Builders are still winning, and the Annihilation Wave is more or less wiped out. This is how they, uh, they dealt with the Annihilation Wave. I mean, we've had this huge... Uh, you know, giant horde of killer drones floating around the negative zone, like since before, you know, the end of the Annihilation uh, crossover or whatever, and they've never really dealt with them. I mean, they've just kind of been hanging out there, you know, except for that one part of FF, you know, the death of Johnny Storm and all that. Um, right. The uh, But I, I thought it was, this was an interesting way to deal with it, you know. Well, it's just so interesting. It took uh, it took the Marvel heroes, the Marvel cosmic heroes, like issues and issues to find a way to destroy or to stop at least the annihilation wave uh, several years ago. And here, the builders do it in about two and a half pages. Yeah, I mean that was the the thing I was going to say. They this was such a big lead in, right? You know, they made such a big deal of saying, "Hey, once we unleash this thing, there's no stopping it, and this is a last ditch effort." And they made it have such weight behind it and then we see that pay you know that that page where uh you know that 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 portal or that you know stargate or whatever it is is created and they all start flooding out and then like you said in a matter of two pages they just completely destroy the whole thing so i thought that was really cool that we take this this thing that we think is going to be this pox on the marvel 616 and you know it, it's it's like what is that story like you you bring in uh, the rats to kill the snakes, and then you have to bring in the mongoose to kill the rats, or what you know that whole thing, and it, and it turns into this this you know you're left with this plague of something that you have to to deal with, uh, and the same thing happened here, but the builders just didn't give it a second thought and were able to turn them on each other. So I, I thought I thought it was just really cool how it was it it was done. It could have been really cheesy to to handle it, and they they did a pretty good job of it. It'd be like at the end of Star Wars A New Hope if Luke's about to take his shot and instead of making the shot on the Death Star and blowing up the Death Star and saving the day, uh, you know, his proton torpedoes backfire and his X-Wing explodes and Luke is dead. <laughs> <laughs> only only in reverse, you know. Uh, so we then cut over to the ex nihili again who are there with Captain Universe still in the coma 
and they have this pretty cool and and longer than I expected discussion about probability and miracles and what what's the definition of a miracle and probability and all this stuff. And by the end of it, Ex Nihilo, the main Ex Nihilo, says uh, today we are going to bend probability. We are going to force the hand of uh, of miracles on our own, and we are going to turn the tide and save the day. And uh, they, they combine their energies, uh, they're, they're kind of amorphous, ambiguous, ex nihilo energy, and uh, they awaken Captain Universe from her coma. Uh, she then goes full-on deus ex machina on uh, the builders and wrecks shop and destroys them in the space of about four pages, uh, with only one of them escaping into a nearby universe. Um, and uh, with just enough time to activate the Alephs and tell them it's time to go full-on kamikaze, and for them to destroy everything in the 616 universe. And that's where we end issue number 21 of Avengers. The Builders have been destroyed, and the remaining Alephs are set on destroying everything. Yeah, that was a cool last panel where we see all those Alephs, and they're just, you know, declarative, destroy everything, declarative, destroy everything. I, I just like the panel layout uh, on that, uh, and, and just the, you know, we kind of get them posing, very almost like Terminator-esque. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I love just the whole showdown between Captain... Yes, it's Deus Ex Machina, but uh, Captain Universe going up against the Builders and them basically... They, they just won't stop, which is kind of a cool trade on them. They they know they're dead meat, but they just keep coming at her and uh, trying to destroy her, and she just makes heads explode all over the place. So that's it for Avengers number 21. Meanwhile, over in New Avengers number 11, which came out the same day, uh, and this actually caused some interesting rifts because... Uh, you know, the question was, well, which order do you read them in? They came out the same day. I read them, New Avengers first, and then Avengers. And the big scuttlebutt was, oh, don't read New Avengers till you've read Avengers, because Aven- uh, New Avengers gives away the big twist of Avengers, or the, the, the end of Avengers. And for me, I actually kind of liked reading them in the other order. I felt like they both gave away the big reveal of their corresponding issue, and I liked reading New Avengers first. But apparently I'm in the, uh, the very small minority there. I used I referred to the hictogram. Uh, I went in the order of the hictogram. So I would normally do that. However, for whatever reason, you know when Marvel puts up previews on their websites of upcoming issues, mm-hmm. like they'll put up like eight pages. They put up all of Avengers eleven or New Avengers eleven on Tuesday before it came out. So that's why I read all of it the day before. Um, I still bought the issue. Don't worry. But um, normally I, I would do the same thing. But I, I did like reading it in this order. So, New Avengers, we're picking up again after the destruction of Adelan, really quickly, with um, with Maximus the Mad and Lockjaw as they watch from a nearby shore the explosion, and then they teleport away. We then catch up with the Illuminati, the New Avengers, as they are in Australia, as there is an incursion. Another Earth from another universe is about to collide with our own, and they have a matter of hours to either push the universes apart or destroy one or both worlds to save the universes. Um, they're there in Australia when they see something uh, falling out of the sky to Earth, to our Earth specifically, and uh, they find that it's an Aleph. And Iron Man is the only one of them who's actually ever seen or interacted with an Aleph, and he is not particularly thrilled. But the Aleph uh, basically says, come with me if you want to live. And they go across uh, the space between the u- two universes into the other universe where they board a builder ship in the other universe. That seemed like a really horrible idea to me. <laughs> it didn't seem like they had much of a choice, yeah, to be fair. That's true. 
Uh, meanwhile, on another part of Earth, over in Wakanda, Thanos' forces, remember them, they're still involved as well, uh, they are attacking Wakanda, they're, they're fought back a few times, but eventually they fight their way through the Wakandan defense lines uh, into the city. Uh, we then cut back over to uh, to space with uh, the new Avengers, the Illuminati, as they're on board the Builder ship. And we see that these Builders from the other universe are essentially identical to the Builders in the 616 that we've seen. But their ex Nihili are red with kind of double bullseyes on their chest. Which was a weird thing to see. Yeah. Just for, something, for a type of character we've only had in the Marvel Universe for like six months now, to see another version of them was very strange. Yeah, especially after we saw that reveal back in the the same miniseries of all the different X Nine Life from all the different races, but all having the same coloring and marking, and then these guys having totally different. Right, right. I thought it was cool though. I think I prefer the gold and black ones, but the red and black ones are pretty nifty too. So here is where we have. Uh, the builders kind of start to explain what's going on. They're also aware of the uh, the universe is colliding. The whole superflow is collapsing. Their system that they designed it's it's all falling apart. And just like the uh, Illuminati have been attempting to destroy other worlds to save the six one six, the builders are also trying to do a similar thing. Except they're trying to save all of the multiverse, and they're trying to do it by destroying all the Earths. They figure their best bet is if all the incursions happen to Earth, well, if we just destroy Earth in every single universe, we can save the rest of the multiverse from complete and utter destruction. So, in theory, they're being very altruistic in what they're trying to do. It's just not working out well for all the people of the various Earths. Yeah, because Earth is where we keep all our stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. This draws a lot of parallels to DC. You know, the, this... The space reminds you a lot of like the bleed and they talk about the multiverses and, and things like that. It just reminds me a lot of the of, of the bleed from from D.C. Yeah, I've heard other people say that as well. I, I haven't read those issues uh, from D.C. since I'm just not really a D.C. guy, but I've definitely heard those illusions uh, mentioned by other people. We also have one of the ex Nihili, the red ex Nihili, uh, walk over to uh, Doctor Strange as they're having this conversation and he notices something weird, and he then reaches into Doctor Strange's head in a really cool uh, section of panels and pull out a mind spider, which was left there by um, by Ebony Maw when uh, Ebony Maw was tracking and kind of uh, possessing Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange went to Greenland and discovered Thane. I really like the, the art on these pages. I mean, he used some really cool layouts here, like with like a full page with a, it almost looks like a, a, a four panel page laying on top of it. Um Another panel uh, page here that Diodato uses where the the whole structure of the horizontal panels falls apart. Um, just, I don't know, I, I just really like the, the art here and the, the Proxima Centauri, I think is her name. I, I, uh, Proxima Midnight. Proxima Midnight. I really like the, uh, I really like her, uh, her design, you know. She kind of looks like Galactus's uh, girlfriend on the side or something with, with a big <laughs> headdress. But uh, I, I love the design. I like her, uh, I like her character in this too during the fight into Wakanda. She's Galactus's rebellious, rebellious teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Dad! But yeah, so... Uh, and they do that same kind of panel structure or a similar one when the ex Nihili pulls the spider out of uh, out of Doctor Strange's head where the panels are kind of falling off the page in a really cool way. Right. Uh, so we go back to that fight over in Wakanda, and uh, by the end of the issue... Uh, Thanos has won in Wakanda. He has entered a necropolis. 
Uh, he has discovered the alternate universe Terax and uh, Black Swan. And I love the little uh, panels between Black Swan and Thanos where uh, she's kind of baiting him and asking him to release them. Um, from their cages, and he he opts against it, which is probably the smartest thing Thanos has done in this entire series. Although we we won't know until the end how that really plays out. But I do not trust Black Swan any farther than I could throw her. I think not. I'm sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> Plus, you get this like couple panels as he considers it. Like, yeah, he stands, kind of looms over, her, and then we get the close up of his face, close up of her face, and then he says, "I think not." It's it's a really cool moment. It's a kind of like uh, time. Uh, compression you could really only do in comics you know what i mean like the story beats like that even in film it would be kind of i don't know it'd be kind of slow but to see it in a comic like that with those um you know those po those povs it just really is a cool moment right and i think i think she's thinking okay let me try this the enemy of my enemy is my friend logic on thanos and uh yeah that doesn't go very far <laughs> thanos has, thanos has enough on his plate without having to deal with her that's what i think that's how he's feeling about it and uh, he also discovers in Wakanda and Acropolis uh, the bombs that the Illuminati had built, or that at least Black Panther had built in uh, Necropolis to uh, aid in the destruction of other Earths. And uh, he's very thrilled by this and, and surprised at the ingenuity of the humans who were willing to even build such uh, items of death such as this. That's more of his forte, generally. Uh, we then end the issue by going back into space, into the alternate universe with the builders and the Illuminati. As uh, the builders explain, you know, after after they've explained what they were doing, what they're trying to destroy all the Earths to save the multiverse, basically cut out a cancer and save the rest of the organism. Um, they destroy the Earth on that side of the uh, of the rift, and uh, they they also explain this is where the whole uh, scuttlebutt happened. They explain, you know, at this very moment we have been defeated in your universe, which a lot of people didn't like reading in New Avengers first. I thought it worked just fine; it was kind of cool. And then to go find out how it happened in Avengers, but regardless. They explain, we've been defeated in your universe. Basically, you screwed up by fighting us and by fighting the will of the gods, basically. You have doomed everything, quite possibly. Your Earth needs to be destroyed, just like every other Earth, or all of everything dies. Uh, so they they say, you know, we got the message from the from the uh, the builder who, who left your universe at the end of Avengers 21. Um, he came over here, we even see him, and... Uh, we're going to destroy this Earth here on our side, and they do, but our ship is way too big to fit through the incursion into your universe, and we can't travel back and forth between universes easily anymore because the superflow is destroyed, so it's up to you. And they send the Illuminati back to the 616 Earth and basically say, you need to destroy your Earth right now. <laughs> it's all on your shoulders. Yeah, tell me, human, do you possess the ability to destroy your own world? Yes, we do. Then what are you waiting for? <laughs> Such an awesome line. Yeah, that's a great line to end the book for sure. And I love, I mean, I've said this before, but I love, you know, we're introduced to Ex Nihilo, Abyss, and Aleph, in the, the first Aleph we met, back in Avengers number one. They're villains. But by the end of it, we realize, yeah, Aleph's kind of a jerk, but the other two, they're just doing what they think is right. And... We then go through Infinity, where we're fighting the Builders, we're fight, fighting the Builders, we're fighting the Builders, and in the end, yes, they're kind of jerks, but, especially in Avengers 21, and uh, Avengers 21 and uh, Infinity number 4, 
but they're just trying to do what's right. They're trying to save the universe, even if they're jerks about it. They're the, the renegades instead of the paragons, if you will, to uh, to reference Mass Effect. And, and you know, it's I'm certainly not the first person to say it, but the best villains are the heroes of their own story. And I love that while Thanos is certainly a jerk and a villain, um, the builders are much more complicated and interesting than he is. And I hope even after Infinity is done, it's not the last we ever see of the builders. I hope they get to have a continued existence in the Marvel Universe. It'll be interesting to see if they uh, get picked up as a story thread in other other stories. It's something I was I, I was wondering, I don't know if you guys are, are, would, will agree with me or not. Where are the Celestials? Like, I remember during the, the War of Kings where they're fighting against the Fault or whatever, uh, or Realm of Kings, I'm sorry. They they had the whole group called the, the Superluminals, which were like the Celestials and, you know, Galactus. I mean, we know Galactus is busy munching his way through the Ultimate Universe. But um, I was just wondering if, like, that had been explained at all. And it's particularly interesting because we know Hickman loves using the Celestials. Mm-hmm. He used them in S.H.I.E.L.D., he used them in Fantastic Four and FF. Um... I, I have no idea, but I'm going to guess, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that if he's not using them right now, there's a good reason. And maybe it's connected to the dead or unconscious uh, living tribunal on the moon. Like, if he's knocked out, maybe the Celestials are as well. Yeah, I thought of that the same the same thing, Jim, uh, early on. Um, especially because the Builders and the Ex-Nihili, and they make a point of saying, oh, we create you know, life, we create, you know, they, they make such a big deal about them being creators, but we know that the Celestials, for the most part, had a heavy hand in, you know, the creation of life on Earth. I mean, I, I don't know if it's canon, but I know in uh, Earth X, and I can't, I can't remember if this built on a thread that they'd, they'd done previously, but at the center of the Earth, basically, there's like a celestial egg, and and that kind of has a lot to do with how they created life, and and kind of had a had a jump start in a lot of the things that have happened in the Marvel universe on Earth. And it seems like this is kind of pulled away from that. What about a scenario where the Celestials are the original Alephs that uh, kind of in a uh, I, my my knowledge of Green Lantern is very limited, but you know, like there was the the something before the Green Lanterns, the man, like the that man were doing a similar, the Manhunters. Like, what if what if the Celestials are essentially the Manhunters, who are now doing their own thing, and, and the Alephs and the Gardeners were the next generation of the uh, of the Builders' plan? Hmm. Yeah, could be. Or or the Builders were just um may, maybe the Builders decided to farm out some of their work, and they got some contractors. <laughs> They're just subcontractors. I find it hard to believe that Hickman would just leave that stone unturned and just, you know, act like it, it, you know, isn't as big of a portion of the Marvel universe as it is. And that, you know, maybe that's where, you know, that that's the big deal in issue six. So, and like you said, you know, with the whole living tribunal thing, we haven't, we haven't gone back to that yet. So he's got a lot of plate spinning. Let's put it that way. I'm sure he'll get to it eventually. So that ends uh, New Avengers number 11, and then we head over to our last issue of Infinity for this week, for this episode. Infinity number five. Uh, and we pick up uh, with the Alephs going uh, full bore destroy everything, and the various races of the Marvel Universe fighting back, and uh, fighting hard, but eventually winning the day. We get some awesome panels 
of various heroes ripping heads off of Alephs, Hulk smashing Alephs in a really cool half splash. And uh, Captain America is talking to, is that Mentor? Oracle. Oracle, sorry. I get my uh, I get my uh, my guardians mixed up. But he's talking to Oracle uh, and he's basically they're discussing everything that's going on and I love this moment. It's kind of it, it borders on cheesy, but it falls just enough short of that that I love it where uh, we see uh, a group of heroes raising a scrap metal built A, an Avengers A on the world and as we go through the different planets um, Oracle explains that basically from this day on, this world that we're on right now, it's an Avengers world because all the other plans failed, all the other races failed, but the Avengers were the ones at every turn when we defeated them here, it was the Avengers plan. When we ve- defeated them there, it was the Avengers who did that. It was the Avengers who rallied us. It's the Avengers who proved that the builders were mortal. And at every turn, you were the ones who saved us. And we go through all these different planets as they basically uh, raise the Avengers flag and go from this day on, this is an Avengers world. That's an Avengers world. This is an Avengers world. We're all Avengers worlds. And I, I don't know what this means for the upcoming Avengers world book, whether that will be focusing more on new Avengers teams all over the universe or more on Earth. But I got to say, this first eight pages or so where we go through that, I love it. Um, did either of you read Avengers Forever? No. No, I have not read that yet. Okay. It was kind of the exact opposite of this in a weird way. Like, the Avengers archetypes um, were a galactic empire that conquered everyone. And everyone was an Avengers world because they're all living under the thumb of the Avengers. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of that. I'll have to check that one out. We then cut back to Earth, uh, to Greenland, where Thane is is surrounded by the dead bodies of all his former countrymen, and he is just terrified of what's happening. He doesn't understand. And that's when Ebony Maul pops up and basically says, uh, this has just revealed your true form. You were always this. You may not want to be this, but this is who you are. Uh, he gives Thane a containment suit that will allow him to not kill everyone around him. But he also puts Thane in a containment field and traps him and uh, alerts uh, Thanos to uh, what's going on. Looks very Sinestro-y, this suit. It's kind of Sinestro meets Thanos. Meets Iron Man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Thanos is still over in Necropolis, and we see that uh, Black Bolt is still alive, but he is a prisoner of Thanos and being tortured for information because Thanos is still looking for the Infinity Gem, the Time Gem that's still there. I love that getup that he has attached to his mouth. I'm I'm assuming that's to siphon off his sonic power, kind of like the opposite of of what Maximus created for him to power things. It's almost like this would, would contain yeah, that, that energy. Yeah. It's the world's biggest gag. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Illuminati come back to the 616 from uh, their trip to the visit the builders of the alternate universe. And they meet up with Lockjaw and Maximus, who uh, who teleport them to where they need to be. Uh, so I'm looking at very small thumbnails and trying to remember what happened in them. Uh, and that's when Thanos gets his message from uh, from Ebony Maul that uh, Thanos' son has been discovered. And they're trying to activate the bombs in Necropolis. Uh, they're not having a ton of uh, help until or a ton of success until they probe uh, Black Bolt's mind, find the access codes and how to do it. And they boot up the bombs and get ready to destroy the Earth. New Avengers come to Wakanda, find that it's being destroyed, and the defenses have been breached, and it's been overrun. 
and and they come in and they wreck shop. Uh, they they see that the bombs have been activated. They go to turn them off and they go to stop them. Thanos goes to Greenland and he meets his son, and uh, that's where we end that portion of the story. I love the I and love then, the um. Oh, I just really really quick the way Thanos gives a compliment to his employee here. Well done, Ma. You're an irritant, but you never disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's a high praise with coming from yeah, Thanos. No doubt. That's the best you're going to get, man. You're not going to get an attaboy out of him. And then back in space, the Avengers get the bad news that while they've been away defeating the Builders, Earth has been invaded and uh, completely overrun by Thanos' forces. But the surviving species of the galaxy have pledged portions of their fleets to take the Avengers back to Earth and reclaim it for the Avengers and to stop Thanos. And that is where we end the issue with a huge fleet going to Earth, saying that there's one last world that needs saving. And they're stopping a Titan on the way. <laughs> For cheeseburgers. Really, really good cheeseburgers on Titan. <laughs> and that's uh, where we end Infinity number five, and we're now three quarters through the Infinity event, at least for the three main titles. And it's interesting that we'll get two issues of Avengers proper before issue six, because I, I know that title typically is shipping semi-monthly. Uh, Un- until the end of Infinity, where it goes back to once a month. Right. But even in or, early... or goes to once a month for the first time. Right, right I was going to say, yeah, because it's pretty much been, been bi-monthly. Or bi- uh, semi-monthly, I should say. And then I guess uh, issue 12 of New Avengers is going to be some sort of uh, epilogue, is, is my guess. Yeah, that's the way it is on the Hictogram. Yes. So I continue to love Infinity. Like, it's just... It's checking all the right boxes for me. Like I said, there's those those moments where it's approaching cheesy in the level of epicness that it is, but it's not quite hitting it, and so I'm still in the green in terms of loving it. The whole, you know, raising the flag over Iwo Jima moments of raising the Avengers symbol, it's almost too kitschy, but I still love it. I like the fact it's a big event. It's as yes, big it's as huge. it gets. I mean, the, the past few events... You know, been pretty much, you know, just about Earth and just about Earth's heroes and kind of small and then trying to, you know, a lot of pomp, uh, gravitas and, and bombast and, and pomp and circumstance around it. But it wasn't really on this scale. I mean, this is a big scale event. And that's what I like to see with my event comics. You know, it should be something that, that wouldn't just be an arc, you know. I was going to say, and, and this is not cutting a, across 50 different books. I mean, it's it's fairly contained. I mean... We are seeing some of it bleed over in Mighty Avengers and a couple of the others. But for the most part, I mean, these three books tell 90% of this story. Right. And tell it well from one author, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mind when books tie in, but it's always disjointing when it's different authors telling the story. And when you get one author um, and and have him or her get the chance to tell 90% of the story, it just adds a level of cohesion that those other events haven't really had where Bendis is writing 30% of it and Aaron's writing 20% of it and Fraction's writing 15%. You know what I mean? It's just, this is so much better. Uh, you know, I'd rather even have a subpar writer controlling most of it than, uh, than a bunch of decent authors and really good authors all controlling little tiny pieces of it. Or, or you do, I mean, to give DC a little credit, which we haven't, we, which we don't really do as much as maybe as maybe we'd like to, but when they did 52, that was kind of writing by committee, but yet each writer pretty much had their own specific part of that story they told. So it was it was consistent across the the title itself. 
Right, right. And and just the overall quality. I mean, like I said, we've we've praised it, you know, as much as it can be. But you know, having a single writer with a single vision and a single you know way that he wants this book to look and feel, or these books to look and feel, and then assembling an artist, you know, art multiple artists, you know, pencilers, inkers, colorists, etc. And it just maintained that high quality is is not something we're used to. I mean, we've seen a lot of these events where we'll get maybe the main event will have a top notch artist, and then the, the the tie-ins or you know, especially with the Avengers books, you know, some of the Bendis stuff, the tie-in books maybe have mediocre art, or even sometimes you know when when they they have a tie-in book, it's really subpar. And for this to just be for these three titles to have such consistent high quality is is a very rare thing in my opinion none of them have been late none of them other than what we we're talking about with new avengers and, and uh, infinity number five have really stepped on each other's continuity in any major way yeah um it's just been very well organized well implemented well executed and a good story so far and the art has been great i mean using i know we're using like four different artists between the two or three books but um i mean it's it's been i mean it's been you know consistently good all the way across and Infinity number five marked the first time in the entire run of Infinity, which has been using, for the most part, two artists in the main book, the first time where ever flipped the page and went, oh, that's a different artist. Every other time, those transitions have been so incredibly smooth that I didn't even think about the fact that there was two artists. And I think the only reason I even noticed was that one of the pages was super bright because of its setting, and the next page, I think it was still separated by a white page, but the next page with art on it was super dark just because of where it was set. And that was the first time in the entire thing where I went, oh, that was clearly two different artists. And then I immediately forgot again. It didn't bother me. And I think a lot of that praise should go to Justin Ponsor who's doing the colors. And I think he's even, you know, I think Opeña's style and Weaver style are different, but not dramatically different. But I think Ponsor's colors are kind of the, the he's kind of normalizing that out, I think, with his overall look of the book. Agreed. So do we have anything else to say about Infinity before we get into some other various comics? The, the only thing left I'll say was, you know, we've talked about some of the covers and uh, we've, we've, we've had kind of pluses and minuses on some of them. I thought the cover to five was pretty dreadful <laughs> it's not my favorite but then again it's better than like two two really bothered me this one was just kind of meh see i thought it was worse than two <laughs> really yeah I, at least i could tell it was happening on this one yeah i mean i think two i think it's just the color just the just the red was pretty garish especially with cap um but this one just looked a little too cartoony maybe for me a little too uh, I don't know. There was just something about it that just I, I I just didn't like the style of it. It just looked kind of funky with everybody's arms kind of you know jutting out of this black space. But uh, but yeah, that's so far that if, if that's the only thing I have to complain about in this whole event across three titles and all these issues, then uh, then I, I don't think I really have much much to complain about overall. <laughs> it's it's a very good sign. So, uh, what other books has everybody been reading and enjoying, or hating, or being met about? I've been reading Forever Evil on the DC side, the um, the event, and it's been kind of interesting, but it's been kind of reminding me of a bunch of other events uh, that I've read. Basically, the crime syndicate, uh, who are traditionally from Earth-3, they're evil versions of the Justice League, have ostensibly killed the Justice League, come back to our Earth, and taken over. 
Um, as the story's gone on, they've, uh, captured and outed Dick Grayson as Nightwing. They beat the living hell out of the Teen Titans. Um, they have had villains groups rise up against them in their own bids for power, like the Flash's rogues. Um, <clears throat> Jeff Johns is kind of doing a really, uh, cool and weird take on, it's probably the best take on the crime syndicate I've seen since, um, uh, Morrison did it with Quietly on Earth 2. Uh, Ultraman gets his powers from snorting kryptonite, which is kind of <laughs> funny. Um, um, Power Ring, the Green Lantern analog is like a weak-willed, kind of like really just spineless guy. It's just, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's been okay. You know, um, David Finch art has been really good. And the story is starting to kick into high a little bit more. Uh, it, there's a really cool subplot going on with uh, Luthor kind of, um, aggregating some of the villains to, to come to his side, including a, uh, a clone of Superman, uh, designated B zero. Um, you can probably see where that's going in the new year. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, I don't know. It's uh, explain. Oh, bizarro. Yeah, okay. I was like, yeah, explain that to me, but then it clicked. I, I figured you'd get it. Jordan. You're, you're, they didn't already have a bizarro. In not, the new not yet. No, no. Ah. Uh. It reminds me a lot of other events. Like, it very much reminds me of Final Crisis. You know, the day the evil won, the day the bad guys won, that whole thing. I mean, it's like, okay, we've seen this before. It's just, you know, it just seems like it's permutations of other things we've already seen put through the filter of the new universe. And it's just, it's okay, but it's not, like, really wowing me. That's kind of how I felt about it. Have you been reading, I mean, I assume you've been reading Battle of the Atom, Russ? Yeah, that's that. that was what I was going to talk about next. Go ahead, because I, I just read the conclusion, and uh, I, I, I said, wah, and then, meh, and then, and then wah again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, and we talked about this last time, when I talked about the, kind of the beginning of the event, I think it, it had a cool premise, and it had some really cool twists and turns in it that I, that I thought were, were pretty well done. Overall, I think it was a 10-part story that could have been told in probably six parts wait a minute you wait a minute you oh, so age of ultron all over okay. again? yeah you're, you're talking about a brian michael bendis story that could have been shorter than it was yeah yeah wow and, i've never heard of that before <laughs> yeah not, yeah unique concept then and, and the other point to it is it, it for me it just felt like typical bendis right interesting premise you know pretty decent story some nice twists pulled in and completely missed the landing I, I just i think the book really kind of became this mess at the at the end we we kind of we don't really get a resolution to it at, at all i mean ba there's one big thing that happens in the end and I, I i i don't agree with with where and i won't spoil it because it is a it is a pretty big deal and it is kind of a game changer uh, for for this particular character, but I thought it was a little out of left field. I think the way he wrote that character seemed like he or she was overreacting a little bit. Um, well, wait a minute. Kind stop, of... stop for a second. Are you talking about the character who dies? Or are you talking no. about the Are you talking about the character who came back from the future? Neither. At the very end, there's a character that basically switches sides. That goes from the Xavier School. To, oh, okay. I know. I know what you're to, talking about now. Okay. Yeah, to Cyclops' side at the at the at the conclusion of this whole thing. It, it's weird. It has like four epilogues, and I wasn't quite sure why they were labeled four epilogues because it just seemed like a natural progression of the story they were telling. Like they, to me, an epilogue takes place 
it's either with characters that are off to the side of the main action or some time has passed and uh and and it's like a conclusion but it had like four epilogues it was almost like you know like the ending the lord of the ring or to to the to um uh the return of the king right it's just like oh it's over and then boom something else happens and, oh it's over and boom something else happens. but it just it just kind of came out of left field for me and i i don't I really, I really would like to have a spoiler discussion on this. Can we mark it as spoiler right now? And like, maybe, yeah, let's, you know, do, go, let's go ahead a few yeah. minutes, okay? First, Jordan, of all, are you are you okay with with the? Uh... Oh yeah, I don't read the X books okay. really. Okay, yeah, I just can't afford. First of all, all of I was well, super so. pissed that he took the easiest friggin' way out he possibly could and killed off Colossus again. Okay, how many times yeah, old does Colossus. Colossus have to die? How many times well, does Colossus have to die? You know what I mean? I mean, when it's old it... Colossus. Right, but and then the whole thing with you're talking about with Kitty at the end just seemed like yeah. not only not only way out of character for her, but yeah, out of left field for sure. And then like I I didn't really see it as that big of a game changer to begin with. You know, that's supposed to be the whole climax of all this is that she switched sides. I mean, I just I don't know. Other than the, I mean, I thought some of the time travel stuff was kind of clever. You know, the whole yeah, thing yeah. the whole thing with Jean was very clever. I thought, but kind of not explained very well. I think yeah when I th- she yeah in the end when she kind of freaks out and basically just explodes it, it's like w- w- why like yeah. it doesn't make any sense because earlier she had this huge knockdown drag out fight with her and Emma and the younger Jean and held her own and now all of a sudden she has the showdown with her younger self and it causes her to explode it's like what I, plus I, I mean it gets it lets Brenda's get away with having these cool ideas for X-Men but not having to explain how they got there you know what I mean by bringing these yeah. uh, the the X Men that turned out to be the Brotherhood in from the future. You know, it's like okay, that's really cool. How did that happen? Oh, I don't have to explain it. They're from the right. future. You know, it's just like ah. Well, know. and and there's that one spot where young Gene is able to read the mind. I think I think it's of the older Gene, and it's really it's so weird because it's not clear. But the quote unquote older Gene is really the younger Gene. That never went back into her own time, so it's not even. It's not like it's it's the main Jean Grey that came that that died has come back to life and then and then went forward into the future. This is the like I said, the young Jean that never went back and and live live life out to the future, and that's that she's the one that just kind of explodes. But the young Jean reads the mind. It's like, oh, if you knew what happened, you would go back. And so she supposedly reads the young, the older Jean's mind, and and sees what the what becomes of the future. But then when Scott presses her about it, she's like, I don't know. It's just something terrible, and and we we have to go back. And it's like, wait a minute, you you saw what it was, and it was it made it seem very clear that she saw what it was specifically. And then she says, no, I didn't see it specifically. So it was just, like, really clunky. Like, that whole part to me was just really clunky. And it didn't resolve anything. No. Like, nothing got no. resolved by the end of this. Like, absolutely nothing. No. And, and that's what was, I think, a little frustrating is we kind of knew that because, you know, the, the stories have been leaking out that they're going to do this whole trial of Jean Grey thing and, you know, that, that, that the the... X-Men from the past, the original X-Men are going to get new costumes. So it's almost like you kind of, it was kind of foretold that this wasn't going to have a resolution with these folks going back to their original time. I think, 
if they would have made this event about how the original X-Men get back to the past and done it in a clever way, I think it would have been a much more successful event instead of making it this mismatch of, you know, future Brotherhood, future X-Men, past X-Men, current X-Men. They have this crazy-ass fight. They they drag S.H.I.E.L.D. into it just so they can sh- prove that. I mean, I think Gene's point, or, or the point of of them having at the, at the at kind of the towards the end of the book shield shows up because all this crazy mutant stuff and time travel stuff is going on and gene and the professor the the professor's grandson who is another future brotherhood member uh cause all these shield helicarriers to fire on all the mutants and they use that to trick the other mutants to say see this is why y- you know all this has to has to change because you know it's always going to be this way and they're always going to do this and they're able to stop the attack, and then we find out that S.H.I.E.L.D. has their own Sentinel. So I guess that was supposed to be a big reveal that, um, you know, it's not just the armament that, that S.H.I.E.L.D. has um, in munitions, but the fact that they have their own Sentinels. So it just it just seemed like that last issue... I mean, there was some really, really good art in that book, too, and there were some really cool fight scenes and action, but just the story for me just really fell apart. I mean, it was just like, oh, let's just kill everybody, and then whoever's left for the most part, will send back to their own time. And then some of them get to stick around and they're just kind of out there and we have to hunt them down. It 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 just seemed... It, it, it seemed like they were picking up a plot line that they did from uh, from Uncanny... from Remender's Uncanny X-Force, where they went to the Age of Apocalypse time and the that Iceman and that Nightcrawler came back to the to the present. And so that was like a big plot thread for a while was they had to go track down... That ver, you know, basically anybody that came over from that time, it's like now they're just doing it all over again. They're just tracking down these these future Brotherhood members that are still in the present that they need to to do something about. So it, it just, I was really really disappointed with it, and I I kind of should have known to be disappointed with it because you know, like we said, Bendis doesn't exactly have the best track record when it comes to these events. He starts strong, and then things kind of linger, and then the ending is a complete. Well, I shouldn't say complete disaster, but I, I, I just was really disappointed. No, I, I will, I will say it. It was a complete disaster. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I thought it started out strong. I thought I had some cool ideas that could have played out interestingly, and none of that happened. So, and I'm speaking as like a cat. I mean, I know you're the X Men guru, like you're the expert, as we always say. I mean, I've had you know history with the characters going back to the, the '70s when I read the book as a little kid, when you know, you know, Claremont and Cockrum and Claremont and Byrne. But, um, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of the casual X-Men guy. It's like, oh, I'll jump in, check out this event, jump out, you know, what have you. And I'm going to jump out of the X-Universe again after this because this was just a big waste of my time. Especially, like I said, the ending, I, it started out strong. I had some good ideas, and then the ending just kind of blew everything. So, Yeah, it's just really kind of kind of disappointing. And I think, and it's so funny because I think Bendis has done a really good job when he first took it over, I mean, All New X-Men was a really good book, uh, and Uncanny X-Men was a really good book, and I think he was doing some really good good stuff with the books that he was writing. It's just, like I said, for some, you know, for whatever reason, this this just didn't, this just didn't, didn't work, and I, I just wish, I hate to bag on the guy, because I, I, there's some of his stuff that he writes that I really really like. I mean, I oh, think yeah. Ultimate Sp- I mean Ultimate Spider-Man I thought was awesome. I think some of his Avengers stuff was really good, 
But I almost as wonder. Daredevil maybe, run as Daredevil run was yeah. one of the probably five best. I like Scarlet a lot. I love oh, Power. Yeah. I love Powers. Powers is a yeah. great series. You know, when he's firing all cylinders and he's got an idea that he really is behind, he can tell some really cool stories. It just sometimes it seems like he's, you know, making a paycheck. <laughs> well, and what I'm what I'm also hearing from you guys is that when he's writing a specific character and some supporting characters, you seem to like his stuff more than when he's writing a team. Well, I mean, his I don't think the big event. I mean, he, he look at all the events that he did he has done, you know, over the years or whatever, and not really any of them, you know, ended well or ended strongly. I mean, Secret Invasion was kind of the last issue. That was a recap of, hey, remember when this happened, and showed us everything in flashback that we should have seen. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I, 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 agree, I agree with Ross. He has trouble sticking the landing sometimes. Yeah, and, and to your point, Jordan, like I said, All New X-Men is, is, a, is definitely a team book. And I think it's, it's a very, very well done. And even Uncanny X-Men, another team book. And I think it's, it's pretty well done. And I don't know if it's just when it's a long-form narrative that doesn't really have a finite ending in sight like he's just kind of telling the story to tell the story i i think it works better i think the problem with these events is they have a finite ending and i think for whatever reason he just has trouble with that resolution and and, and you know getting there isn't so bad but it's just that that ending that that he really has a problem with but i want and bendis has been very open about the fact that look you know especially when he was like cresting in his popularity with Ultimate Spider-Man and uh, and the and taking over the Avengers books, he's like, "Look, I'm only going to be on top for so long. I need to write it while I can. One of these days, I'm going to be just like some of these other guys that were, you know, really big 20, 30 years ago that just don't get work anymore because either, you know, they've kind of fallen out of favor or they moved on to other things or you know, just their their style is just not in vogue anymore. And he's he's very conscious of that and he's very He's very humble about that, but I'm almost wondering if Bendis is not becoming like the equivalent of Jeff Johns at DC. And I think, you know, especially for those of you that have been listening to us for a long time, for a long time, we were super high on Jeff Johns. I mean, we were full in on all the Green Lantern stuff from the word go. And I mean, we were very happy with it. And it seemed like everything he wrote was gold. And I think, I think lately it just feels like when you read a jeff john story it's like oh yeah this is a jeff john story i think i'm tired of reading a jeff john story because it just seems like replace the character and and it's it's like the same story like you read it and you feel like even if it's something new you feel like you've read it before and i wonder if we're getting that way with bendis at least for superhero comics that it's just you feel like 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 we're saying he either can't stick the landing or he's just you know he stretches things out way too too long and he needs to kind of rein it in but i just get this vibe off of bendis that he's kind of following in in my mind like the jeff the jeff johns train yeah i mean jeff johns wrote forever evil the what i was talking about before and it is very jeff johnsy because it's very event you know everything is like on a bigger scale bigger panels and everything like that but it just reminded me of like the same kind of riff as like i said final crisis which was the same deal, you know, villains take over everything and the heroes are all screwed or turned to the dark side and, you know, evil is one. That's the whole premise. Even the <clears throat> the concept in, in Final Crisis where the anti-life equation was on every screen and every um, cell phone and every computer on the you know in the world, they, he, they do the same gimmick in this, only it says, you know, the world is ours and it's referring to the crime syndicate. 
So I understand exactly what you mean about the Jeff Johnsy thing. Because um, Jeff Johns is writing Forever Evil, and it's very much a Jeff Johns event story, you know what I mean? All in caps. Yeah. Now, Amazing X-Men came out today, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but this is kind of like the Search for Nightcrawler book, and I'm is a lot that, more uh, intrigued. Jason, isn't that Jason Aaron? Yeah, yeah, which I think he's doing a very good job. I mean, he's writing Wolverine and the X-Men um, which I think is is really really well done. So I'm I'm curious. I, and Nightcrawler is one of my favorite X Men characters of all time. So I'm really curious to see if this is going to be kind of a step in the more maybe a lighter material. Maybe you know kind of a a trip back in time to some of that Cockrum uh, Claremont you know style of storytelling. Uh, so probably when we do our next uh, comic centric episode, I'll have I'll have something to say about that. Jordan, do you have Jordan's Spider Man corner of the week? <laughs> uh, since our last episode, there hasn't been a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Uh, Venom wrapped up. Uh, Scarlet Spider, I think, has one issue left. Um, and so, I mean, a lot of the changes are just about to happen. The one thing, the one thing I will mention because uh, it, it was kind of awesome. Um, you know, Doctor Octopus is Peter Parker right now. It's Doctor Octopus's brain or his brain waves in Peter Parker's body. Peter Parker's dead. And for a while, he had all of Peter's memories and he could access them. But then he destroyed them, right? Um, in a really cool issue, issue number nine. And some of that may be in flux at the moment, but I'm not talking about that right now. The point is, he only has access to the memories he had already accessed. And so when somebody from Peter's past shows up who expects Peter to know certain things, he's running into some issues. One of those people is Black Cat, uh, who, as any Spider-Man fan or even casual Spider-Man reader from the last 20 years probably knows, uh, Peter and, and Felicia have a very complicated relationship. And so a lot of people have been wondering for a long time, what's going to happen when she shows up um, and, and, and Spock, Spider-Rock, has to deal with her? Um, do you want me to spoil it? Because it was kind of awesome. I, I'm fine with it. I, I mean, Jim. I'll, I'll, I'll probably read it, read it anyway. I'll probably read it anyway. So I'm, I'm still okay. Behind. So uh, and I'm doing this from memory, but if I remember correctly, basically he comes up on her while she's in the middle of committing a crime, and Doc Ock is working on being the best superhero he can possibly be. So he's not going to let somebody just get away with committing a crime, and he has absolutely no understanding of why she's hitting on him or anything. But basically, he lets about you know, three or four sentences out of her mouth before he cold cocks her and punches her directly in the face, breaks teeth, and the look of confusion and anger on her face is priceless. And that's pretty much their whole interaction in the issue. Basically, she's like, you're going to pay for that, and then we cut to another part of the story. But it was just so unexpected and so out of left field, but at the same time fit perfectly with the way that, you know, Spock is a jerk. He would do something like that. I certainly don't advocate punching people in the face, but... Um, that's something he would do, and it was just hilarious uh, in, in the way it was presented. That that's funny. <laughs> um, other than that, like I said, there's a lot of changes just about to happen, but not a lot of stuff has actually happened since uh, the last time we talked. Gotcha. I've been reading a bunch of stuff. What about you guys? I you know to be honest with you, I haven't read a whole lot. Um, part of it for me is just. I thought it, it's funny because I thought having I think I mentioned last time I had surgery on my shoulder about a month ago. I thought I'm going to be laid up. I'm going to have all this free time. I could I could read tons of stuff and having your arm in a sling for a month and not being able to really move it doesn't 
make it, it it makes it rather difficult to read comics. Um, um, even on the tablet, it's kind of hard just because it's it, it just you know because of anyway. It's it was just it didn't work out as planned. Let's put it that way. So it's only been in the last week or so that I've really started to kind of try and catch up on stuff and. So the only thing I've really read, other than you know the stuff we we've already talked about, is uh, I've I have a ton of these Conan trades sitting on my shelf. A bunch of you know the the Chronicles of Conan, which is the old Marvel stuff that's been recolored, which is fantastic. The Savage Sword of Conan, which are all the reprints from the 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 Savage Sword of Conan magazine. So it's a little bit smaller size, black and white. The original art was black and white. And I've I've got a bunch of trades of when Dark Horse restarted their own a Conan series. And so I, I've read the first almost three trades of that. So the zero, which is it's called born on the battlefield. And it's kind of like the origin of Conan. Uh, and, it, and it's really cool how they're, they decided to tell this. It, it starts out with a, a King and his advisor that are traveling from one part of the world to another. And they come across this buried temple and there's a statue of the King Conan that's like toppled on its side and they find a bunch of scrolls, and, and the king makes his uh, advisor read to him all the stories and find more information about this man, Conan. Uh, and the advisor just kind of rolls his eyes and tells these stories and, and you know, says, oh, it's probably fake, and, you know, most of these were probably embellished. But the, the new Conan stuff, started by uh, Kurt Busiek, um, it, it's, it's really good. Like I said, I'm through the first... Uh, the zero, the one, and I'm almost through the second trade. And uh, these have been just kind of sitting on my shelf for a while, so uh, I started. I kind of had an afternoon and and just kind of plowed through them. So that's been good stuff. But uh, other than that, I really, like I said, I really haven't had a, a chance to read a whole lot more. So now that I'm I'm kind of on the mend, I'll be doing a lot of catching up of of stuff. Explain to me the concept and the justification of the nipple medallions in those books. Because don't get me wrong, I appreciate them as a red-blooded uh, male. Uh, I just don't understand them. I I don't really see that in the Conan books. You know where I see that is uh, the the John Carter stuff, the Dejah Thoris. Uh, oh, okay. You must you must have cut out when I was saying that as well. I, I thought that was in both books. No, not really. I mean, I, I the other thing I have I had on my tablet and I I I, uh, I finished out was. Uh, Dynamite's Red Sonia, not not the new one by Gail Simone, but the original one uh, that they started out, and uh, so you know you get the Red Sonia, which is you know the chainmail bikini uh, thing going on, which just sounds painful. Yeah, well, there's leather underneath it, so you know. <laughs> those, those fantasy artists in their their interesting clothing. Yeah, yeah. Such useful armor too. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I do like that that style. They tend to, uh, and and of course the dark horse, the dark horse specific stuff is a lot more risque than you know the Marvel stuff. I mean, at times can be a little uh, sensual, but for the most part, it's pretty tame. Uh, and the dark dark horse stuff isn't you know pornographic by any any stretch, but it's definitely a lot uh, more liberal in in you know their portrayal of of Conan and. Uh, his conquests. So, well, yeah, but the the um, Savage Sword of Conan did kind of explain to our listeners was a black and white magazine uh, yeah. that Marvel put out, and it was supposed to be for you know more adult consumption. You know, all so bets are off. Yes, topless chicks. No, we mean <laughs> it. They have skulls for faces, but they're topless. 
It's the best of both worlds <laughs> or something, if you're Thanos. But that, that was uh, what you were referring to before you were talking about the Kurt Busiek run, right? The reprints of the yeah. Omnibuy of those. Because that's some really great art. I mean, Barry Windsor Smith and John Buscema and uh, Ernie Chan. And um, I mean, there's a lot of great artists that, that drew for that magazine. Yeah, the early early Roy Thomas stuff. The Savage Sword, it's funny. I really like the art and everything with the, you know, with the uh, the early the early Marvel stuff. Uh, the the Barry Windsor Smith and the 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 modern coloring is really cool. I mean, it really kind of uh, accentuates the art. But I think the writing on the Savage Sword stuff is is better. I mean, not, no no slight to Roy Thomas. I mean, he was writing under the constraints of the of the um, you know the the comic code uh, and you know putting out something that appeared on the newsstands. Whereas, like you said, Jim, the the magazine stuff was a lot more free to to do as it will. So. The stories are a little more raw and a little more um, adult, and and the black and white again, it's it's kind of cool. It's it's not like the essentials. Like this art was always black and white. So, you know, seeing black and white reprinted art that was never colored to begin with is uh is pretty cool. Right. But that's Gee, it for what, me. Gee whiz, I've been reading so many things. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, Quantum and Woody by Valiant, first of all, because Jordan would love it. And before you ask, I still have not gotten around to it. I'm sorry. Uh, I will eventually. I'll start with that. Um, five Weapons just wound up, so there's probably going to be a trade of that. If you haven't read that, imagine Hogwarts Academy, but for assassins. Um, that's pretty much the premise of that. And imagine the one kid who is smarter than everyone else in the room who's trying to survive through a, a Hogwarts for young assassins. Um, D- does Hogwarts for assassins have like a, sh- a sorting shuriken? Um, sort of shot, I guess. No, but they have like different houses, kind of like uh, Hogwarts. Like they have the House of the Blade and the House of the Gun, you know, the House of the Bow. You know, what I mean, they all have the, like their specialties. And um, I would not want to be in the Hufflepuff equivalent. That would seem like a very dangerous place to be. Five Weapons by Jimmy Robinson from Image. That's a really good book. Uh, I can definitely recommend that. The, the trade for that is probably going to be coming out pretty soon. Um, and like I said, any of the Valiant stuff, but Quantum and Woody especially, I think you'd really enjoy. Oh, oh, Jupiter's Legacy. I wanted to talk about this last time. Uh, Mark Miller and Frank Quayley. It's almost like Mark Miller's take on Kingdom Come. Yeah, like, yeah, I read the like, first two of those. Yeah, I, I just picked I picked up number three recently, and um, it's like, more, yeah, it's, it's the same kind of premise with the younger generation of superheroes and the older generation, but it's a lot more brutal. And uh, it's a lot more... I don't know. Like I said, imagine Mark Miller, you know, doing his version of Kingdom Come. That that's a good starting point. And Frank Quietly's art is really good in this. I mean, if you like if, if you like his style, then you know, I, I would definitely recommend that book for sure. It it's funny. I'm not a huge Quietly fan, but I really am enjoying his art in Jupiter's Legacy. I don't I don't know what it is. It just it doesn't seem as puffy as as some of his other stuff uh, right. that I've seen him do. It it I I, I think it's. It's uh, it's his some of his best work I've seen, in my opinion. Uh, Astro City by Vertigo. Another really solid book, really awesome. Uh, really enjoying that a lot. Issue five just came out of that. Uh, Bruce X still doing a great job, you know, filling in the corners of that universe. There's a lot of stories to be told there. And uh, just recently, uh, from uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con, I got uh, the Animal Man Omnibus by uh, uh, Grant Morrison. And uh, also, I got these uh, Squadron Supreme omnibus um, from Mark Grunwald and uh, and Bob Hall um, 
from back in the day. And I, I've been reading, I, I just finished the Morrison and I'm still working on Squadron Supreme for a reread, but, uh, I don't know. It was, you know, it was Morrison before he became, you know, Grant Morrison and he was just trying to write decent yeah. comics and it's not as bogged down with all that. I mean, the spiritualism and the weirdness is there, but not to a point where, you know, like the invisibles where it just kind of became nothing, I guess. But, um, it, the animal man stuff's really strong. It's pretty, a lot of it's really, you know, still rooted in DC continuity too. I mean, cause vertigo really hadn't existed at that point. That was still really early on. So yeah, it's good stuff. I feel like I'm hogging them. I feel like I'm hogging the mic, but, um, uh, <laughs> I just don't really have a lot to say this week aside from uh, from Infinity. On a comics-related tick, it's not exactly comics, so it's kind of outside of our, uh, our progeny. Progeny is not the right word. Our, uh, our what The stuff we cover on this particular show. Um, but the Fables, the Wolf Among Us game from Telltale Games, um, if, if you played their Walking Dead game, the really, really awesome one, definitely check this out. I have not played it, but I've watched a couple of Let's Plays of it. Um, it's very neo-noir, think Drive, think, um, I mean, Drive's probably the best thing in, t- in terms of the look and, and sound and feel of it, although not quite as slow-paced. Um, it, you're playing as Big B Wolf. Uh, if you're a fan of Fables at all, definitely check it out. It's really, really cool. And, and even me, I'm not a huge fan of Fables. Like, I've read the first 50 issues or so. I enjoyed it, but it never really grabbed me. This is really, really neat. Just that, that feel of 1980s pre-Giuliani New York um, and, and how that how that would be for the Fables was really cool. But I, I mentioned that mostly uh, to bring up that uh, we've recently learned that Fables will be ending with issue 150. And I think you guys are slightly bigger Fables fans than I am, so I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that at all. Let's see. I am just past the part with the literals. I know there's going to be, there's supposed to be a crossover with the unwritten, isn't there? I think that already happened. I read the unwritten in trades, though, so I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, Fables, when it's on special on Comixology, so it's been a while. I'm behind. I was getting it from the Austin Library for a while, and I think the last trade I read was the one after the crossover with... um, uh, What was the one they did, where it was that three-way crossover between Fables, Jack of Fables, and then there was that miniseries they did specifically for for this crossover um was that the literals or no i think it's what cinderella no it introduced i think the literals i forget the name of the of the miniseries it crossed over it's it's been a while since i read it so i think it was like i think either the 12th or the 13th trade i think no it was was after that because i think i read to about issue 100 ish and then that's where uh, that's where I, I, I haven't read any of the trades since then. So, um, and I haven't read, and I read all of Jack of Fables. So I, I finished that book. Um, but I haven't read anything since. So I haven't read the fairest or any of that. And fairest is going to be stopping too, but I guess the, the uh, Willingham is saying he's basically going to retire from comics at that point. And it's not just that he's ending fables. He's pretty much gonna, gonna kind of fade away. Well, and the other thing I've seen speculated to, uh, mostly from Daryl Taylor and, and the uh, the No Apologies guys, is do you guys think this is the end of Vertigo when uh, when Fables is done, or do you think they'll keep that around? I don't really have a strong opinion towards it. I'm just curious to what you guys think. First of all, I think if, if Vertigo didn't go when Karen Berger left, that's not going to go. You know what I mean? Because she was the one who really started that whole line, that whole imprint, and then she left, I think it was about a year ago, Russ? I don't know, a year or two ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think they're going to keep it, but it's going to end up being like Marvel's icon thing where it's like, you know, 
hey, write 12 issues of Superman for us and you can put your creator of own thing out on Vertigo, you know, like part, like, you know, the way they, um, they've done it with Bendis or whatever in Marvel. So, but I don't think it's, it's going to be the way it, it, it was. You yeah. I mean? I mean, it's changed. It's changed so much. I mean, you know, we're seeing again, Constantine ended and he folded over, you know, they had for a while, Madame Mirage was, was, or Madame Xanadu was a Vertigo book and she's been kind of folded back in. So a lot of these, these fringe, DC characters that have that moved over to Vertigo have moved back into the main universe and we're not seeing a whole lot of new Vertigo I mean we have Fables we have Unwritten we have Fairest Astro City is a Vertigo book yeah which which again that's just kind of weird like that doesn't really when you think Vertigo you don't really think Astro City but I, I think it's just because they don't you know they don't really have a place for it it doesn't really fit in the DC main continuity they don't have Wildstorm anymore, so it just it. I guess anything that's just not DC proper is just going to go Vertigo. Uh, I think I think what we know of Vertigo and what we typically think of things as Vertigo is is just going to change. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for a long time that imprint that brand really carried a certain expectation of you know a certain kind of storytelling or a certain kind of you know comic. Uh, and now it's just kind of I guess it's kind of meaningless, it's just kind of. You know, for them, a farm for creative-owned properties for, you know, writers who are working for DC. Yeah. Speaking of DC, I guess another big bit of news is uh, DC is going to be shutting down the New York offices and moving them out to Burbank. Which is shocking to me because I, I actually, I know I, I've probably said this before on the podcast, but in 2009 I took a tour of the DC offices, all three floors, uh, and the Mad Magazine offices, which are on the in the same building on the, you know, on the next floor down. And there's a giant mural on the wall there um, that artists have been drawing characters on since they moved there, in th I think, in the 50s. And, I mean, literally every artist, every comic artist you can think of um, up until, like, the 90s has drawn a character on this wall. There's a Dave Gibbons Rorschach. There's um, a Kurt Swan Superman. There's a George Perez Nightwing. You know, like, all these beautiful art on this wall all done you know by hand on the wall by these, all these different artists it's a one-of-a-kind piece and i'm just wondering are they gonna take that with them i mean <laughs> are they gonna take <laughs> that whole wall out and take it with them or you know i mean i can't imagine it just be you know painted over by somebody yeah yeah that there's so many cool point. artifacts and so much art there and everything it just kind of blows my mind that they would move it all but yeah I mean, I guess on the positive note, Diane Nelson has been pretty vocal about who's the the head, the VP of DC. She's in charge of DC Entertainment. She's basically Dan DiDio and uh, Jim Lee and Jeff Johns' boss directly. That you know everybody's going to get an offer to move out to California. That you know they're they're not doing this so they could cut. Well, their official line is they're not doing this to cut staff. That everybody's going to be given some sort of package and, and you know, uh, adjusted compensation if they if they want to make the move and everything. But I would imagine there's a lot of folks that just aren't going to take that. I mean, um, you know, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, especially if you're an editor, you know, and you have family and kids and in roots and everything else to be uprooted and moved, you know, literally across the country is is going to be a tough sell for some of these folks. Plus, those offices are so cool. I mean, they're just I mean, the walls are covered with art that just is a history of DC Comics. And 
I mean, the one one floor is done like Gotham City. One floor is done like the Daily Planet office. You know, um, two different office floors. Um, it's just amazing to me that that I don't know. It's just kind of, and I mean, you look from the window, you can see the Late Show with David. It's just really cool where it was. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I understand why. It's just kind of sad. But, yeah. You know. And I think I. I don't know if you guys read Joe Casada's comments on the whole thing. Like he, he was pretty complimentary, you know, basically said, you know, Hey, I, I, you know, we rib each other all the time. We go back and forth, but you know, basically my, my heart has a hole in it. You know, when DC leaves that them being not being in New York is, is, is a sad day for, for him personally. Plus but, it's interesting. If you think about it, they didn't, uh, from what I heard, DC did not have an actual booth at New York comic con this year. Yeah, not a proper one, no. So I mean, is that that's probably going to be even less next year, considering their offices won't be in New York anymore. Yeah, well, I think they'll still be there because it. The plan is, I think, the end of, like, into twenty fifteen. I think is when the actual move. Like, it's going to take a little over a year to to make it happen. But I think for DC, it's just it's more about DC Entertainment than DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to just, you know, their quote unquote booth is just going to be, you know, more centered on, on the entertainment aspect of it. Uh, especially since they're, they're, you know, really trying to one up Marvel on that aspect. I mean, you know, arrows, arrows, a fairly successful TV series. We know it's spinning off uh flash. Now we hear that our man is potentially going to get his own show. Yeah, DC owns some character called the Avenger that they're trying to turn into a TV show as well. It'll obviously have to change the name in some way, probably, but it's a character from the 30s known as the Avenger. No, it's just the Avenger. From what I read, I I know nothing about this. I know as much about the Avenger as I do about Our Man, which is to say nothing, but uh, those were just the two articles I was reading. Mm. I know that there's a Golden Age DC character called the Crimson Avenger. Um, they actually uh, had a, a brief cameo in the Justice League Unlimited series. And I know that Fox is looking to pilot off uh, Gotham, you know, a series based around Jim Gordon. So And Constantine, uh, didn't they buy a, a, yeah, I think for, so. uh, a pilot for Constantine? I Yeah, yeah I think I heard that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But that in... in you know, Man of Steel was a, a pretty good success. I mean, I think I think... It got a little bit of mixed reviews, but I mean, overall, it made them enough money to to kind of go full, you know, full fledged forward with the sequel. We know Batman's, you know, Affleck is going to play Batman in that. There now, there's a lot of talk that Wonder Woman is going to show up in it. Yeah, um, I heard Jamie Alexander had had talks to appear. And now it's it it looks like Olga Korolenko is uh, is is kind of the the odds on favorite for for that role. I did not hear that. I, I um, heard Jamie Alexander like, talk to them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, buddy. I have something um, on the superhero movie track. But I, I don't know how that. that's going to work. I, that, that got me a little nervous that they're going to try and cram too much in. But On uh, superhero movie news, not really news, if you will, but uh, you guys are familiar with the How Did This Get Made podcast? I think we've mentioned mm-hmm. that at some point in the past. Are you going to refer to the uh-huh. Daredevil episode? Yes, they just put out, and I should preface this first off by saying I love the How Did This Get Made podcast. It's one of my favorites. It is not an all-ages show like this one is, so uh, don't listen to it with your kids unless you're a really awesome parent. But anyway, they just did an episode on the Daredevil movie, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, and their special guest to discuss it 
was Ed Brubaker, and I listened to it uh, yesterday or today, I forget off the top of my head, but it was a lot of fun, really, really interesting, and it was fun to hear Ed Brubaker on it, and uh, turns out he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah, he was on episode Tabletop with Will Wheaton not too long ago. I think they played uh, Pandemic or something. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he is funny. He, he's really, uh, really uh, uh, quick. I, I haven't gotten to listen to the Daredevil episode yet, but I want to. Their episode for Superman 3, um, literally, I, I was listening to it at work while I was wor- working back at Gypsy. And I, I literally had to stop what I was doing because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I get that a lot when listening to the show. It's very yeah, good stuff. It's, nice. It's, it's really funny. Uh, Russ, have you been reading the Star Wars? No. Yeah. Um, I, I, w- I have. I, I've got the the first two issues kind of piled up. I haven't actually read them yet. I know we talked about it last time, and you weren't. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, done. that high on it. I'm going to stick with the Brian Wood, but I'm, I think I'm getting rid of the Star Wars. Yeah, it's just too Flash Gordon-y. It's just very. I don't know. It's like yes, I understand these are influences on him, but it doesn't mean he has to you know ape them. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it just yeah, it really yeah. was not doing it for me. Hmm. Very interesting. So anything, anything else? Any, anybody else got anything to... I am BS'd out. Yeah, me too. I am... Uh, I, th- I think I said uh, every got everything off my chest that I've been holding on to. <laughs> I think our next episode will probably be The Real Heroes about Thor 2, The Dark World, right? I cannot wait. It's getting great reviews. People all across the world seem to love it. And it's been very hard to stay away from spoilers. But so far, <laughs> I have been successful. Did you guys see the, the, yeah, uh, the fan-made poster that got picked up in China? I, I saw the headline, but I didn't actually read the article. Evidently, there's like some slash fic or fanfic type uh, Photoshop of, of Thor kind of holding Loki in a very... Uh, uh, un, uh, Unbrotherly way? Yes, exactly, an unbrotherly way. And, or the most brotherly of ways, depending mm-hmm. on how your family is. But Well, anyway. <laughs> if, if you're one of the uh, Lannisters. That got picked up uh, in China as the actual poster for Thor: The Dark World. And they had like people; they showed people in line to see the movie, and that was the poster in the window. <laughs> Crazy. But yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. Cool. Well, I guess that about does it for this week. If you want, you can send us a an email at lod at hhwlod.com. We'd be happy to hear your comments, thoughts on uh, our BS episodes and any of the other episodes that we've. Post it up on hhwlod.com. You can check out all the other shows that we have. Uh, Half Hour Wasted, Walking Dead TV Podcast, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, the Ichapod Cranecast. I remembered it this time, uh, which is one of the newer uh, podcasts that we have where Aaron and crew talk about the Fox show Sleepy Hollow, which is uh, getting pretty good reviews. It's a great show. I, I love it. It's a lot of fun. And- Here's a high compliment for the show. It would make a great comic book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and, of course, the you can check out the S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, uh, Real Heroes, Jersey Shore, Jordan's uh, Jersey-centric 
we actually just put out a uh, a Thor episode. It was actually called Jersey Thor because uh, we like terrible puns ah. on on my show. Uh, and where we talked nice. about Thor: God of Thunder issues one through twelve. It's not quite LOD quality in terms of panel by panel uh, dissection, but it's Pierce and I talking about the book. And uh, we'll have a Thor two episode as well, as well as a uh, East of West one through six episode coming out very soon. If you're looking for comic book material. Cool. So again, go to hhwlod.com, check all that good stuff out. Uh, you'll you'll have some blogs posted up there too. Aaron's real good about posting up his Walking Dead um, episode reviews and recaps, uh, as well as some DVD, Blu-ray reviews that he puts up. Uh, so always be you know checking that out for good stuff. You can hit up Facebook as well. We have uh, Facebook groups for pretty much every show on the network. You can search for Longbox of Doom and you will find uh, the the Facebook group for this show. So thanks for joining us, and uh, until next time, uh, have a good week, everybody. See you in the funny papers.